Good morning, everyone. If you'd like to follow uh, the reading and you're using the church Bible, you'll see the page numbers on the screen in front of you. And your Bible will show you that this passage is about Jesus' rejection at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And we know that the Lord will add this a blessing to this reading from Holy Scripture. This morning we're starting a three-part series on seeing the Saviour in the Old Testament. It's crucial for us to know that we can get to know Jesus in the Old Testament for many reasons. For me, though, the reason that sticks out the most is that Jesus wasn't God's plan B. Jesus was God's plan A from the start. In Luke 24, after the resurrection, Luke records the following. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, that's the Old Testament, concerning himself. Looking through Sunday school material, I once read... That if the Bible teaching doesn't point to Jesus, it's missing the point. That is true of the Old Testament as well. Next week we're looking at Jesus the priest, and the week after, Jesus 
the king. This morning, though, we're looking at Jesus, the prophet. And I'd like to start by praying. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a loving God who speaks to his people. Lord, please speak to us this morning. That after hearing your word, we'd be challenged and changed. That we'd be different. That we'd know something more about you. And use your spirit to help us. Amen. So we all know the expression, the suspense is killing me. We all know that feeling. What it, what it feels like waiting for something that's important to us. It could be the phone call from the cute guy or girl that you met at the party. They said they'd call in a week. Today is the last day. And every time the phone beeps, buzzes, or rings, you jump to your feet with anticipation and excitement. Or perhaps you're waiting for the results of your final exams. Or a blood test. Or even more seriously, who will be eliminated in the next round of Strictly? Our hearts pound faster. It feels as if they're trying to escape through our throats. Our chest gets tight and we get butterflies in our stomach, sweaty palms and nausea. It certainly feels like the suspense is trying to kill us. In today's passage, suspense is played out in two ways. Firstly, the Israelites are waiting for God's special saviour king, the Messiah. For 400 long years since the last time God spoke through the prophet Malachi to our passage today, and God has remained silent. And Israel has waited for their worthy leader. We want worthy leaders, don't we? We all groaned with America, I think, when they were spoiled for choice in their two candidates. And it's more like they voted against somebody than actually voting for somebody. Plato, in his work, The Republic, longs for a philosopher king that will rule justly. Even in Lord of the Rings, we have as a subplot this idea of waiting for a king who is worthy to rule Middle-earth and the people and the creatures. Or King Arthur, Britain's most written about hero, the king worthy to pull the sword from the stone and worthy to lead Camelot. We long to be led by powerful, safe, fair leaders. And it's in this context of waiting for a saviour king, the Messiah, who would rule justly and bring salvation to God's people, that today's passage takes place. Secondly, Luke uses suspense to get our attention and to draw us in, to draw us closer. It's like our grandfather telling a, an intense ghost story around the campfire. And he draws out his words. He's wanting us to lean closer and, and get our attention. Luke has got something very important to say to us this morning and to his readers. He's about to reveal something amazing about Jesus. The Israelite wait for a saviour king has been a very, very long wait. The suspense must have been really tough for them. But the long wait is about to be over. That brings us to the first thing I'd like to say this morning. The prophet Jesus is worth listening to. Don't you get annoyed 
when in hindsight you should have listened to somebody's advice or directions. What is it that makes us feel that way? Well, they were right and we were wrong and we're probably lost or broken, whatever it is we were trying to build. They were worth listening to and our error costs us. If your trusted mechanic gives you advice about your car, you are wise to follow it because he knows what he's talking about. He is worth listening to. The Old Testament prophets were ignored at a high cost. Now it was their task, the task of the prophet, to be God's mouthpiece, to say to the people what God wanted them to know. The prophets were God's messengers. And each time the people ignored the prophets, calamity, exile, and destruction usually followed. And the people never learned. If only Israel had listened. Like the reliable mechanic being in tune with your car, hopefully, the prophet was in tune with God. They were God's mouthpiece, God's chosen way of speaking to his people. They could say with confidence, the Lord says. They could say it because it is the Lord who gave them the message to preach. In hindsight, everyone would know that the message came from God because it happens exactly the way the prophet preached it. They were worth listening to because they carried God's authority. Now, like the prophets of old, Jesus, too, is worth listening to. And here's why. Firstly, Jesus has God's authority. We know this because he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the same powerful Holy Spirit that conceives him, and it's the same powerful Spirit of God from the first part in Luke chapter 4 that helped him through his temptation in the wilderness. Luke points it out to us that it is Jesus is now doing ministry in Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14, chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. With the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' message is powerful and compelling. So Jesus carries God's authority, and Jesus has God's approval. Again, we see the Spirit at work in Jesus' ministry as it comes down on him after his baptism, and we hear God's approval from heaven. And God says, or Luke says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, God's voice. You are my son whom I love. With you I am very pleased. God can say he is pleased with Jesus because Jesus is following God's will. And things are happening exactly the way God planned them to be. In Jesus' last days on earth at the Transfiguration, where Jesus meets with two prophets from of old, Moses and Elijah, God speaks again from heaven, saying a similar thing to the words spoken at Jesus' baptism. But he adds three words. Listen to him. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
will do well to listen. But more than just having God's authority and God's approval to speak God's word, Jesus is God's word. Jesus is the personification of God's revelation. Jesus is the word that is on God's lips. Jesus is the message that God wants everybody to hear. And then lastly, Jesus is worth listening to because Jesus is God. Colossians 1 tells us that when we see Jesus, we see God. Jesus makes God known to us because he is the perfect image of God the Father. Jesus knows what's on God's heart and he knows his message because he is God. Later in the New Testament letters, in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer opens with the statement, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Jesus is worth listening to because he is more than a prophet. Jesus is God. The prophet that is worth listening to is the prophet with a message. A message that is worth believing. From verse 16, we have the occasion of Jesus preaching his first recorded sermon. It starts with a preamble to the sermon giving us the setting. Jesus is in Nazareth. It's his hometown. It's a synagogue. And as was Jesus' custom, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. The synagogue functioned as a type of decentralized temple. It, uh, it was for those who couldn't get to Jerusalem, to the temple, but they could worship locally in the synagogue. And after this introductory scene-setting preamble, Luke hits the slow motion button and creates some suspense to draw us closer and to consider what Jesus is going to say next. Luke slows us down by adding a whole bunch of verbs into the passage. Luke could have just said he read from Isaiah, but what he does is describe that Jesus stood up. That the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolls the scroll and he finds the place and the passage he wanted to read. It's kind of as if, as if Luke is doing a drum roll. Um, what was the first thing that Jesus was going to say? What he says now is going to be really, really important. And Jesus won't disappoint. I want you to note that Jesus chooses his passage. He doesn't read this passage by chance. It's unlikely that at this stage the synagogue would have had prescribed reading, prescribed liturgy. But Jesus finds the place where it is written. He goes there with intent. He has a point to make. And he reads from Isaiah 61. <clears throat> if you can, turn there, please, to Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2.
the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn. It's been called the glory of the Messiah's work. Jesus is pointing to a time when the Savior Messiah will come, filled with the Holy Spirit, and set things right. The hard things of this world, the things that get us down, will be undone. The Messiah will bring restoration and salvation. If we go back to Luke, where Luke quotes um, Isaiah, aren't those amazing things? The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor was known in Old Testament times as the Jubilee. It was a celebration that came around every 50 years where slaves were set free, debts were canceled, and land was returned to its original family owners. And this is where the Jubilee Debt Campaign gets its name and idea. On their website, the Jubilee Debt Campaign states that we are part of a global movement to break the chains of debt. Just think of the freedom you experience when you pay off a debt or when your mortgage is paid. Imagine the feeling when somebody does it for you. And often when people are asked how much money they need, the reply is something along the lines of, just enough to cover my debt. And we can see how debt is crippling to families and nations. But the year of the Lord's favor that Jesus is speaking about, the jubilee, it comes and undoes all that, all that debt. It brings restoration. It brings salvation. I wonder what it is that holds us captive. What are we longing to break free from? What has you chained? Is it perhaps a feeling of guilt? Or are you trapped in an unhealthy relationship? Or perhaps a job situation that's driving you mad? Are your mortgage payments strangling you? Is your experience crippling your present? These are all effects of a world that is broken. A world that is spoiled by sin. But a world, though, that is not without hope. Jesus has a message of hope for all of us. A message that tells us that God is going to reverse the curse. A message that says God is going to fix what is broken. There is nothing that God cannot fix. And God is on the job. God has good news for the spiritually and physically poor. That is in some way all of us. We are all poor. But Jesus in his reading has good news. A message that is worth believing. Salvation is coming. Jesus has another point to make that's worth listening to in this passage. 
not only will God bring salvation, but the Savior will bring grace. In his reading of Isaiah 61 verse 2, Jesus leaves out the last bit. Did you notice it? Jesus quotes a bit to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But then in Luke, when he quotes the passage, he leaves out and the day of vengeance of our God. He leaves it out deliberately. We know from past um, passages in, the, in uh, Jesus' time in the wilderness, Jesus knows the scripture. This isn't a mistake. He leaves it out deliberately because he's making a point. Jesus says that he has come to the earth to save and not to judge. In John 14, Jesus says this, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. God is going to delay giving to the people what they deserve. But it is coming. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, that is, his return, in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. When Jesus returns, the time of celebration is over and the jubilee is over. The point that Jesus is making is now is the time for salvation. Now is the time for restoration. Please don't miss the grace here. Now is the time to respond because now is the time of salvation. I think this is a great message. We all know what it feels like to be in debt, or many of us. Jesus has come to undo that debt, to set us free, to liberate us. This is a message that really is worthwhile believing. I've never watched a full episode of Dragon's Den, but I have heard of the Tangle Teaser, which was a brush specially designed to glide through knotted and tangled hair. A problem I know nothing about. In 2007, Sean Palfrey tried to get the dragons to listen to his idea and invest £80,000 for a 15% stake in his business. Now, excuse the puns, but he was brushed off by the potential investors as they labeled his idea as harebrained. The dragons didn't believe in Sean Palfrey's message. In 2015, only eight years after uh, the show, the Tangle Teaser is now sold in 70 different countries and has an annual turnover of more than 30 million pounds. It's a brush. It's the biggest company to pass through the Dragon's Den in its 10 years of being on air. The Dragons lost out on making over 8 million pounds, all because they didn't believe Sean Palfrey's message. You see, his message to those dragons was worth believing. And the message of a savior is also worth believing. The message is that the savior king will bring salvation. 
the Saviour Jesus is worth trusting. 80s TV shows are the best, or were the best. Watching them now is very disappointing because they fall very short of what I remember. Discover the special effects aren't that special. One of my favorite shows was the A-Team. Really know the A-Team? A group of wrongfully accused soldiers doing good while dodging the military police. Faced B.A. Murdoch and Hannibal, the leader. They were dependable and trusted to get the job done. As viewers, we knew they were always going to win. And we knew that for those damsels in distress, not only would uh, Face get a date, but the A-Team was completely reliable to rescue them. The A-Team in the show was worth trusting in. In fact, they were so trustworthy that the end, at the end of each show, after the bad guys had been dispatched, Hannibal would mutter his famous phrase from between cigar-clenched lips. Anybody know it? I love it when a plan comes together. In five seasons, they never failed once. They were worth trusting in. If we go back in time to that synagogue, Jesus has just finished reading from Isaiah. The listeners get the point that God is going to be bringing salvation. They've had to wait for a while, um, but it's nothing new that God is going to send salvation. But what is new is that judgment is going to be withheld. And all the eyes are fixed on Jesus. He hasn't finished teaching it. In a synagogue, they would usually teach seated. And Luke and many of the other writers in the Bible, they don't just give us the bare facts of what happened. They craft the message in a way to present the truth in a rich and thought-through way. Things like a theme flowing through the passage, through the book, through the letter, or certain phrases repeated, topping and tailing passages with similar thoughts and ideas. They use other devices too. It's all planned. They're leading and guiding our thoughts. Luke's plan here is to slow us down, to create some suspense, suspense, to draw us in, and to get us thinking about what Jesus is going to say next. So, like any good suspenseful game show, he draws out the revelation. Who wants to be a millionaire? At one time, the most popular game show on earth. As the host is keeping everyone in suspense about whether an answer is right or wrong, you have that heartbeat suspense-inducing music in the background, and everyone is edging closer to the telly, and the poor contestant is having heart failure. The host will say something along the lines of, I'll give you the answer right after the break. Jesus has given the reading. It's half his message. And now we wait, contemplating his next words as Jesus moves to take his seat. Jesus rolls up the scroll. He hands it to the attendant and sits down. All the eyes are fastened on him. Now we don't get the whole sermon because Luke can make his point from the first line of what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, today. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You say that today and it doesn't seem as big as what it would have been 2,000 years ago. Imagine the hearers' minds racing, matching the speed of their hearts as Jesus says those words. The wait is over. Salvation is here. Jesus is the Savior. In one sentence, eight words, Jesus breaks 400 years of silence. 400 years since the last revelation from God. The wait is over. The suspense is over. Jesus, in this one sentence, says, I am not just a prophet, but I am. I am the Savior King. Like the prophet, he brings God's message. But unlike the prophets before him, Jesus can say, it is me. I am the Savior King you have been waiting for. The prophets before Jesus all pointed forward to him. None of them claimed to be the Savior King. John the Baptist always said that he wasn't the one. And that the one coming after him would be greater than him. The one coming after him would be the Savior. Jesus says, that is me. I am more than a prophet. And all the prophets longed for this day. Take a look at Luke 7. Verse 20. John asks some men to go and find out from Jesus if he is the Messiah. And then in verse 20, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. The report that John gets is that Jesus is doing the things expected from the Savior King in Isaiah 61. Luke wants to reinforce for us that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. The blind will see. People are healed. And good news is preached to those who need to hear it. I was two years old when Muhammad Ali retired from boxing. Even those born after he died will probably in in time come to learn about him. He was a great boxer. Some claim that he was perhaps the greatest boxer. Muhammad Ali had this to say about himself. I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. Not only do I knock him out, I pick the round. He also said it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. He might have been great at a time 
but he retired, losing three of his last four fights. Muhammad Ali wasn't what he declared. Jesus said he is God's savior king. At the cross, Jesus showed he was the savior by willingly taking our punishment so that he could bring the salvation that Isaiah 61 promised. Jesus is what he declared. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in, mer- in, and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, that is, after he had provided salvation, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The prophet is worth listening to. The message of a savior really is worth believing in. And the savior, Jesus, is worth trusting in. Jesus, the prophet, has a message. And it's that he is the savior and the weight is over the world longs for a leader that will rule justly I think the saviour is that king and the suspense can be over let's pray Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, the prophet. We thank you that Jesus wasn't just any ordinary prophet. That he was a prophet with a message. A message of salvation. And that he fulfilled that message. That through Jesus we can have salvation. That we can be freed from our debts. That we can be freed from captivity. That as a result of the freedom that he brings, we can know you. Lord, help us to think about the Savior. Help us to make up our mind about what we want to do with him. Lord, he is worth listening to. He is worth believing. Help us put our trust in him. He has sent Jesus to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Thank you, Lord, that you bring salvation. Thank you that one day we will be with you at home in heaven. Be with us in this week, holding on to the truth that you are our savior and the things of this world will end. Amen.